0: Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. We're going to jump into the Word today. Uh, I <clears throat> I have a, kind of a specific approach that will definitely touch on souls uh, but that has, I, I kind of give myself liberty to not have to stay uh, in the structure of a theme. Uh, I mean, we came up with a the theme anyway, so uh, giving ourselves permission to step outside, the thing we came up with is just kind of, I guess, being empowered. Uh, so it'll touch on souls, but it won't be rigid and stuck in that place. Uh, and it, it's going to be about these two ideas, right? And it's a little bit of a leadership conversation. It's a little bit of an approach conversation, but what it is is how to lead a soul. This is the concept. This is the idea. And there's two different ways I've seen people approach others. And one is to tell them what to think. And the other is to challenge them to think for themselves or to do something that causes a person to think and to process and to go to a different conclusion, perhaps. So these two different approaches are, they, they should kind of be clear in how we've seen uh, coaching. Have you ever had a coach that was really, really almost like authoritarian? They told you exactly what to do, how to do it, where to go, when to get up, when to sit down. And then there was a different approach of leadership or teaching, which was, um, it's actually probably my more preferred approach that was done to me, which was more philosophical. Uh, it was more like when um, the, the, the philosophical approach, which is like, hey, what is honor? And then you have a conversation where you're diving into what honor is. Uh, and so the teacher would teach through prompts of questions, challenging, prompting thought. Uh, and this used to, this is my favorite way to teach and to be taught. Um, and you see Jesus, and we're gonna pull up different scriptures and points where Jesus has this approach, but first I want to lay the foundation here of the two kind of paradigms, how many of you had teachers or coaches that challenged you to think for yourself? How many of you did not? <laughs> how many of you are like, hey, my, that was militant. You, you're going to do these things. This is what it looks like. So I'll, I'll kind of approach it like this. There, there isn't, it isn't necessarily bad to be taught just information, and this is how it's best done, right? So, if you get really just clear teaching and one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, this isn't necessarily bad in compliment to somebody who has learned uh, to be empowered and learned to think for themselves and come to their own conclusions. So, information is really helpful when you already have the process in your heart and in your mind that allows you to come to your own conclusions with that information. So when you see Jesus prompting his disciples, challenging his disciples, teaching his disciples, you see two different approaches, which can to some be kind of confusing or frustrating, which is questioning questions. Very, very good questions or parables. Now, we have the luxury of looking at parables in a, uh, in a kind of 2020. We've got theologians and we've got doctrine all over this thing that's taught us what they mean, where they're going, how to get there, all of the things about parables. But if you put your brain and your life experience into the life of the disciples at the time, nobody was explaining these parables. And a few times Jesus did, but half the time or more, Jesus wasn't even describing or explaining to them these riddles that he was giving to them. And this must have been frustrating for people that were listening to his teachings. On one hand, Jesus is causing the blind to see, the dead to rise. And on another hand, he's saying something so cryptic that barely anyone understood. Even his disciples that were walking with him were like, hey, what do these parables mean? So Jesus had this way about him of challenging people to think, not just giving them the answers. And there's a reason why this is important. There's a reason why we must learn in our life to think for ourselves and come to conclusions for ourselves in our faith, in our spirituality, in our businesses, in our vocations of any kind, in our art expressions. Uh, It's very atypical, perhaps, of a church or of religion to provoke this. So I know I'm setting a foundation. I promise you we'll get into the word. I'm setting a foundation of what this looks like even in our history and in our lifestyles. The Catholic Church drove this concept and this idea that the Bible shouldn't be translated into our common vernacular for a long time. And it only turned right around the Martin Luther time where there was this challenge to the authority of the Catholic Church to say, hey, why isn't the Bible in our common vernacular? And what their reasoning was on this, and I'll read it to you, is they were concerned that the reader becomes accustomed to judging for himself the meaning of the books of Scripture, to scorning divine tradition preserved by the Catholic Church in the teaching of the fathers, and to repudiating the very authority of the church. So the Catholic Church decides that we're not going to have the Bible directly accessible to people. And this was their approach so that they can control the conclusions and thought about divine scripture. This is exactly, spitting in the face of uh, of what I believe is the heart and the mindset of Jesus, is that when he looks at uh, Peter uh, and he says, who do men say that I am? Or he looks at the disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And when Peter says, uh, hey, you are the son of the living God, he says, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Which means that this entire approach of thinking for yourself and or thinking for yourself in connection with God is actually foundational to what Jesus said the church would be built upon. Because he then says to Peter, if you remember, upon this rock I will build my church. So as a Christian church here, we have this approach, which is we uh, have scripture and we have the divinity of scripture. We want you to have access to it. Uh, And so this was established even in the Martin Luther times because you need to think for yourself in connection with God. And I need to think for myself in connection with God because experts and theologians cannot be the ones responsible to guiding our soul. We must uh, appreciate, we must embrace this very simple concept, but that God is my leader first. This is a direct revelation. This is a direct relationship, and it should not be uh, censored or controlled by any leader. Now, this is really important to kind of approach because we start thinking about experts. Uh, We start thinking about theologians, and we're like, hey, They know what they're talking about. I'm going to trust them with this idea. I'm going to trust them with the interpretation of Scripture. And this is a dangerous place to be because when you start to trust theologians or experts with how your life is going to be shaped, you don't give God the opportunity to inform you in a very intimate way. Okay, so who should we trust, experts or God? We should trust God. And now experts and teachers and leaders can inform us, and they can actually contribute to us learning about God, but they should be a complement to divine revelation, not our source of divine revelation. You, You tracking with me? Okay, this is an important priority to set up, because when I preach, even when I preach, and you come to this church, you love this church, you trust me, I've never said anything too crazy, right? You know what I mean? And so, so you're like, hey, he's trustworthy. He's a good dude. Sure. Okay, yes, sure. But even when you hear me preach, you should be discerning the words I'm preaching, and you should be testing it according to Scripture. And you love me. I'm a good guy. I'm sound in my teaching, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter. Everybody gets discerned and tested according to Scripture. Everyone gets discerned and tested according to the Spirit of God. Everybody. Because it could sound right, but if you really, really look close, you might see some devious human motivation. And you're like, ah, I see it. Aha. You're like, I could separate that out because uh, Holy Spirit lives inside of me and gives me discernment to see what is right and what's wrong, separating things out. The, the scriptures, the word of God, they, they split the thing between moan and marrow, light and dark. So you can see what is true and what is false. And this comes in divine, intimate connection with God. And I know what trips us up. We start to get scared on this thing because we, got, we, we could potentially have a bunch of people going, God told me, and doing crazy things, right? And this is what scares us, and this is what scared the Catholic Church. They're like, yeah, this sounds like a bad idea to give them access to Scripture. We need to cut this access off so that we have the leverage of information, and we can tell people exactly how their life should be lived, but look at some of the flaws that, which took place with the Catholic Church. You see purgatory. You see made-up doctrines and theologies. You see things that were advantageous to the institution of the Catholic Church uh, at the times. You see them. Look, what they did to Galileo when he's like, hey, the earth is actually not the center of the universe. And the Catholic Church is like, you are banned to house arrest and isolation for the rest of your life. For the rest of his life. Uh, This is wild stuff that they would do to information that challenged their authority and that challenged their power. Because when people want to control conclusions, you shouldn't trust them. So when you and I walk in this space, we should have permission to be able to ask of God and get insight. And we should be able to encourage one another to ask of God and get insight. And we can teach on Scripture, but even if I'm telling you the full narrative of Scripture and what its implications are, you should look into it. You should, because this is actually your soul, your well-being, the fabric of who you are, you should look into this and you should make sure it's God. You should make sure it's scripture. Just because it's said with very cunning and or creative words and just because there's a certain tone build that takes place, you should be asking yourself, is this the spirit of God? Or is this the spirit of man? Is this fleshly? Is this soulish? Is this selfish ambition? Is this greed? Uh, Even in songs, like they're they're really, they feel good, right? And you're like, ooh, that was a good build right there. But you should be asking yourself about the lyrics of what are being said. Do they actually match up with what you believe? Because you could edit it. You could even edit it live if you're like, I actually don't really buy into that. Because not all songs that we sing on Sunday are directly and or purely praise and worship. There's a narrative in there. There's an idea in there, right? Um, And when you and I begin to actually think about what we are ingesting, what we are making a part of our body and our life spiritually, we've got to make sure that it is in alignment with Jesus. And we've got to allow ourselves to truly understand what we are accepting, to truly understand what is being taught and make sure that this is one for one. This is one-for-one on alignment. There is no deviation. There is no adjustment. There is no slight altering to make it to my benefit or to somebody else's benefit. You've got to make sure that what you are receiving is God. And there's not only your uh, discernment in who is giving it and what they're saying, there's also your interpretation. So if you and I are receiving a word, there is my delivery attempt and there's your interpretation, Correct. You guys with me on this? I promise I'm going somewhere. Stick with me, okay? So there's your interpretation as well. And as much as you or me or I would like to think that our interpretation is perfect, uh, the Bible says we all see through a glass dimly. If you study psychology, you'll be like, oh, wow, there's a whole lot of distortion in our interpretation. We try and get really, really clear and accurate on it, but it's a process. Uh, There's these studies that they would do on people's memory uh, in psychology. Where they'd be like, somebody would be in an accident or around an accident, and based on the questions that the interviewers would ask, it would alter what somebody believed actually took place. So if an accident happened, and there was no shattered glass, if the, uh, que- if the person who asked the question was like, was it, were you frightened when you heard the sound of shattered glass? it could prompt and or could impress upon that person to misremember the accident and go, yeah, it was crazy. There was glass everywhere. It was intense. I didn't know how to walk after that because the glass, and it's very possible that there was actually no glass shattering or no glass at all. So our minds, our memory, what we see and what we perceive, we've got to be very accurate in what we are choosing to believe and what we are accepting as truth and reality. And I know this can sound like we're conspiracy theorists and we don't trust anybody, right? I know this can sound like it's a little anal and it's a little like, oh, we're living in fear. And it's not what we're doing is we're we're taking our trust away from anybody that would say, this is how you should think, this is how you should operate, and this is how you should feel. And we are putting it into the hands of God. And we are saying, God, all suggestions, all teachings, all narratives run through the filter of you. Is this fun? You guys like this? You guys with me? Okay, cool. So there's a couple of times where you see Jesus ask and have an approach with his disciples that is question or that is parable based. And, and the reason I'm bringing up questions and parables in this way is, is one of the most effective ways to truly develop somebody in their spiritual walk and or their maturity is not to give them the right information, but it's to teach them how to find the right information. It's this simple parable, teach a man, uh, give a man a fish versus teaching a man to fish. So if I teach you what is the right information, this is an inferior teaching model versus teaching you how to access the right information for any problem or situation you might find yourself in. Are you tracking with me on this? So I don't want to just provide information. I want to provide a clarity of accessing he who has the right information for all situations. So is teaching the Bible on Sundays is it irrelevant to business? If I'm not directly talking about business that week, does it mean that the principles of God are irrelevant to business? Well, no, because if we're doing the right teaching, we're not just teaching you the information and the examples are limited, are limiting the information. We are teaching you access. We are teaching you approach to a relationship with God that will yield all wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, let him ask in faith, so he's not like the winds, or he's not like the water in the oceans being tossed to and fro by the winds. Meaning God has all the wisdom, so if you and I understand how to approach God and access God, we will never be without wisdom for any situation, for any dynamic, for anything like that. You guys like this? Is this fun? Okay, maybe you don't like it. Let's get into the Word. There's a couple of questions that I think we should understand Jesus asked. In Mark 8, 34 through 37, uh, and let's start in 36 and 37, it says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? This question was a challenge to people that were listening, which is to really, really calculate. Like, really think about this thing. Like, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what then? And this question is important because it it actually has you say, so it it would be atypical or it'd be different than me saying, look, like there's nothing more valuable than the word of God and then salvation of your soul versus me asking and prompting a question. Like what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So there's a difference in approach. One is me telling you a truth. The other one is me challenging how you currently think, it's me challenging your current makeup of thought, and it teaches you to understand the value of your soul by challenging you on what is the value of your soul, and is there anything more valuable? Oh, wow, look, that's really important, then all of a sudden you begin to see like, wow, my my soul is the most valuable thing, so I could lose my job, I could lose all my friends, I can lose a lot of things, I can lose uh, bodily function, but but well, Wow, what does it, what is the most valuable thing in my life? I remember when I had Guillaume barre which is uh, which is an autoimmune virus or disease. And if there's any doctors in this place and I mess up on a few details of this thing, just stay quiet. No, it's just playing. <laughs> They're like, hey, you he said it wrong. Uh, so, it, it, but it strips away. It's your mailing sheathing. All of my extremities, they started to have like, no, they were numb. They started to be heavy, and it was really, really weird, and all of my balance started to go because it strips the mailing sheathing, which it coordinates, helps you coordinate with your balance. It can help you feel in space and time, but anyways, I, I went through this process, and then seven days, uh, well, there's a bunch of immunoglobulin treatments. huh? You didn't think you'd hear that word today in the sermon, did you? Immunoglobulin treatments. I could spell it, too, but I won't. It is this process, though, that stops the virus, and your body needs to heal itself after that. Uh, so I lost like 20, 25 pounds at the time. I didn't have a whole lot to lose uh, when I was training in high school at the time. Uh, and I could barely walk. Uh, my throat was closing up. They said another day I would have needed a tracheotomy so that I could eat and or whatever. So I, uh, in this time, I went from being a really good basketball player, very strong, having goals and ambitions and all these things, And I, all of a sudden, had none of it. In an instant, just gone. All of it. I was going into my senior season and yada, yada, yada. And I was just like, wow, what a wild, wild experience. Here's what it taught me, is that all of the things that I thought were valuable in my life at the time were stripped away from me, and I had to actually mine for what was truly valuable. I had to actually mine for like, well, what does this all mean? (laughs) What? All of my dreams, all of my my physical strength, my body was was taken from me in a moment. Not my fault, but what do I do? What does this mean? What's valuable in life? So all of a sudden, I was challenged with this question. I was challenged, and my soul was conflicted as to what is valuable, and I was lost for a season. There was apathy. there There was this aspect of my life that was just disconnected. I was disillusioned. And in this process, it reminds me of the scripture uh, in Psalms 42.5. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. But if you stop, right, and you don't go to what David says, hope in God, then you have a question that somebody is asking that is truthful about where their soul's at. So you've got to be honest about where your soul's at. You've got to be honest about the questions that are unanswered inside of you. And and in your situations, they perplex you at times. They vex your soul. They are in conflict with you. And sometimes you're not honest about what's happening in your soul versus what your head says you should believe in faith. And if you're not honest about what your soul is saying, like, look, why is my soul downtrodden? It's not supposed to be this way based on what I understand in scripture, based on what I understand in Jesus, but my soul is downtrodden. So it's not supposed to be this way. Why is it this way? And you start to ask these questions and I believe God asks these questions of you and me. Like why is your soul downtrodden? Why are you full of violence and aggression? Why are you full of greed and ambition like Why? And God asks these questions of us. He confronts our souls, and he comes in conflict with the displacement that is in our life. And he's like, look at this. Look at what's happening here. See what the, with the, uh, with the adulterous woman, what he said, he said, do you have any accusers left? And what was this doing for the woman caught in adultery? It was meant to alter her perspective. It was meant to go, look, you have no more accusers left. Look around. Do you have any accusers? What is that doing? It's shifting her perspective from being a victim, somebody who's being victimized by religious authority, and it's shifting her perspective. Now this weight is no longer on you of victimization from a religious institution. I am the only one qualified to judge you, and I don't. So what is it doing? He asked a question of a woman so that she could see herself and her situation differently. But he didn't just let her off the hook, as we might say, sloppy grace ideas. He said, now go and sin no more. So he shifted her perspective from being a victim of a religious uh, institution and a religious order to moving into an empowered mentality. I'm no longer a victim, and now I'm actually capable of sinning no more? Whoa! A question by Jesus to you. I promise you this: it will lead you into out of it will lead you out of victim mindset and into an empowered mindset. Empowered by whom? By Jesus. Not some kind of like, uh, you know. Empowered is sometimes I, I feel like when I say it in a sermon, people are like, "Ooh, that's a cringy word." Like empowered. Like just people always taking power and it kind of scares people, when I say empowered, I'm not talking about some person just being violent in aggression, and taking power, and seizing power, I'm talking about the process that happens with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, where you receive power from God to be different, when you see, receive power from God to walk out repentance. I like this about Jesus. He asks us questions, not just to troll us, not just to mess with us, not just to show us how silly we look without him, but so that it can prompt a shift in our paradigms to see our situation differently, to see our life differently, and to receive something from Jesus that will change everything. This is how Jesus works. He he asks a question of us. So so Peter, do, do you love me? You're like, yeah, Jesus, I love you for sure. I love you. Now, remember, he did this three times with Peter, and Peter denied Jesus three times. There's a reason why we're being uh, confronted in our souls. There's a reason why Jesus is asking us questions. It's meant to make us realize something about our life, to get us to think different, to get us to actually start thinking. Religious order, religious institution would want to tell you one, two, three, four, these are the legalistic ways that you achieve righteousness, and holiness. Attend every service, show up early, pray for the service, volunteer midweek to feed the homeless, go to midweek discipleship, watch the services afterwards, and uh, uh, join the worship team. Right? This is what religious legalistic mindset would say, is am I checking off the boxes of religiosity? This isn't at all how Jesus taught. It's not at all how he approached his disciples or he approached people. He was much more interested in true relationship and authentic transformation. He was much more interested in these things. And it was the Pharisees and Sadducees, which were constantly trying to uh, be legalistic with Jesus. It's like, why would you heal this man on the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, you're so caught up on these lines of rules. You're missing the heart of the whole thing. Of course, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus's interest was not in replacing old covenant legalistic mindset with a new covenant that was also legalistic mindset. He was interested in us actually being powerful in us actually having sound minds. For I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. Is that what our Christian population looks like now? Is that what our Christian population in America looks like? Does it look like power, love, and a sound mind? Or does it look like we have just continued the same pattern of making somebody our Pharisee and our Sadducee and then us falling into line in a religious order? Like the Bible's in English in our modern vernacular of 60 different kinds now, 60 different kinds or, or more, excuse me. I, I, and so we have the Bible that's written in all of these ways, even the message translation, which I have not always been a big fan of, but it's like in every way you can imagine, the Bible's written in the language that you can grasp and you can handle. And we have this, but we still have the dynamic of a people, of a population of Christianity that lends to four, five, six, ten, a local pastor being there Tell me how it goes. Tell me what it looks like. We've got to be really careful of this approach. We've got to begin to engage in this process of asking questions and asking questions, especially of those who are teaching us. I focus on this a lot because it's really easy for us to, we sit in the same spot each week, right? And we listen to these preachers and teachers. It's easy for us to outsource the responsibility of how we think to an influential person. We should never do that. We should never do it. If you and I outsource the responsibility of how we think to someone else, we're also outsourcing the power. We're also outsour- outsourcing the connection to God. Like, have divine connection. Have divine insight. Yep, there will be a responsibility in it. You, you won't be able to look at anybody and be like, hey, they did me dirty. They misled me. They tricked me. No, because you will be owning everything you believe. Everything you believe. So we can't look at a pastor and go, man, the pastor tricked me. Oh, the leader tricked me. The televangelist tricked me. And now they cheated on their wife and they've done all these horrible things. I have no more faith. See, this only happens if we give our fealty, if we give our loyalty to men and women of God in a way that we should be giving to God himself. When men or women of God fall and fail in leadership, of course this is sad. Of course we can grieve over it, but it should never shake our foundation of faith and belief in God. When a leader abuses his power in church, this should not disconnect you from Jesus. This should actually be something that drives you into deeper intimacy with Jesus. I've seen countless lives disconnected from their faith and relationship with Jesus because of the pain and abuse of religious institutions. Countless. Countless. And it grieves me. It grieves me because I see the abuse. I see the pain, but I'm like, take Jesus back from that abuser. Take him back. He's yours to be in intimate relationship with. Take him back. When that pastor or that leader committed adultery in your community, slept with a bunch of the wives, or or began to rape or molest kids, when, when you saw these horrible sexual sins happening from a pastor or leader, take Jesus back from that abuse. Take it back. Take it back. It doesn't belong to that person. Don't allow the abuse and the pain to rob you of a relationship with Jesus. Don't allow it to do that. Take back the power from those who have abused. This is so important, right? The adulterous woman, thrown before Jesus, they're ready to to execute her and stone her, which is a brutal way to kill someone. They're ready to kill her. And Jesus is taking authority and power from the religious institution, and he's giving it to her. This is displacing controlling power and manipulative power. This is what Jesus does, and he does it by us learning to be powerful in our own right. This is us learning to see things differently, to approach God in a way that's like, well, what do I believe? Why am I bleeding money every month? Why am I losing uh, in my opportunities? Why am I not getting promoted? Why am I not in leadership? Like, you start to ask real questions of yourself, and you don't go, you know what? It's because so-and-so, they're just, they're more liked. I don't know. They have more money. They, have, they dress better. You, you start to really look at it for what it is. Is like, what is it about my life? You own the outcome and the responsibility of your life in relationship with God. So if you're impoverished and you're destitute, you ask a question of God. God, do you want me here? Like, really ask it of God, too. Don't just jump to the conclusion and be like, God wants me to be blessed like, ask God, God, do you want me to be poor? Right? Do you want me to have no opportunities, no jobs? Do you, do you want me in this place? Ask God first, and if God, in conversation, in reading Scripture, reveals to you that it's a no, then, then the next step is to ask God for wisdom. Okay, cool, then you don't want me here. This isn't your will, so how, how do I get out of this place? Am I, am I like a Joseph right now, which has received true tribulation and true persecution, and this is man trying to destroy me? Like, am I like Joseph? Or am I like just learning and have made foolish decisions, and that's why I'm here? And you start to think about it, and you start to really reflect with God. Like, why don't I have friends? Or why do my friends hate me? Or why do my friends have the same pattern of stop talking to me? Or, or, why do I stop talking to my friends in the same way each time? Like, there's been countless times where I had to look at my life and be like, why am I approaching it this way? What's up, buddy? How's my friend? I love you. I love you, Jackson. Hi, this is my buddy. Hey, Don. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys, this is Donovan. He's my friend. That's Jackson. Jackson's so handsome, I love. He probably just heard my voice. He's like, hey, that's my friend. I should go say hi. So I didn't get to get to the parable part, but I want to reference for you in Matthew 13. Is that a little man? He's like, what's going on? Matthew 13, I'll reference it for you. You can go to read to it because the disciples actually asked Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he begins to break down what's happening here, and he points out this very simple concept is that they don't have ears, or ears to hear or eyes to see. So Jesus asks questions, and, and, and he gives riddles because he's trying to pique our curiosity and our hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a, there's a shift in our mindset that has to take place, and the very start of it is a hunger a hunger to see things differently, to hear things differently. Whatever your current expression is, I can guarantee you that Jesus is leading you. Jesus is leading you to see things differently and to hear things differently. You've got to disconnect your leashes, your bondages to other people's words. Like the Lord of your life is God, not your pastor. The Lord of your life is God, not a religious denomination that you have affiliation with. The Lord of your life is God, not your mom, not your dad, not your praying grandma, not your auntie. The the Lord of your life is God. And it's important that we take all lordship, all control that we experience in our life, and we give it to God. You guys with me on this? Come on, let's stand. Let's finish this time. If I was to accurately describe the second part, it's moving from being told what to think by somebody to challenging you to think, yes, for yourself, but for yourself in relationship with God. This would be the added qualifying layer to this thing is that we begin to digest information, situations, paradigms, teachings, scripture in a way that's actually interactive. I've told people that don't like to read the Bible, they're like, it's just so boring. I'm like, well, what's, what book are you in, first of all? And they're like, Leviticus. I'm like, gosh, man, get out of there, dude. <laughs> Go back when you, you know, yeah. So and I'm like, first, what book? And second, like, are you interacting with it in your life? I'm not going to tell you read it every day and then like all this kind of stuff. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just say, look, Read scripture in a way that's actually interactive over your life. So when, when David says, so why are you downtrodden hope in the Lord? I'm going to go hope in the Lord. What does that mean? Like, really? I mean, I could maybe tell somebody about it, like hope in the Lord, but I've got to ask myself, what does it mean to hope in the Lord? Does that mean I just go from being skeptical of my boss's motivations to now I hope in the Lord. So I just put my eyes closed and I walk around just gleefully, ignorantly happy. Like, what does it mean to hope in the Lord? Does it mean that I'm no longer cynical of people? That I'm no longer discerning of man? Does it mean that I hope in a good outcome? Does it mean that I hope in the goodness of a person to not stab me in the back? Like, what does it mean to hope in the Lord? really asking these questions and thinking for ourselves in it and going, what does it mean to even have faith? Because the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. That sounds tough if I don't even know what faith looks like. Does it mean I give more financially? Does it mean I pray for somebody? Does it mean I pray for the sick? Like, what, is, what does it mean to have faith in God? So we have these leading and these prompting guides in our life And the best way to handle them is to take whatever assertions they're making and teachings they're giving and asking God questions about it, asking questions about the narratives, asking questions about our own paradigms and conclusions and seeing, hopefully being able to see and hear things the way God does. Your life may feel like a parable, like a riddle right now. You might have a lot of questions about your life. Trust God with the problems in that you talk to him. You learn about it. You get shaped and reshaped and formed and reformed in these times. I want to pray for you, and then you guys can stay and worship where you can go. I love you so much. Jesus, I pray that you would give us courage to walk into the unknown, in the places of unknown, Lord. We have a way we operate. We have an insight. We have a current cognition. We have a current way of thinking, feeling, and moving. And God, I pray you would give us courage to walk into the unknown expressions, the unknown places. I pray courage and faith for this community. I pray courage and faith for me, God. Lead us into the mysteries of God. We trust you in the parable places. We trust you in the questioning seasons of our life. Why did I get Guillaume Beret? Why am I weak? Why am I missing things? Why did I fail at that? Why didn't I get that opportunity? Why am I not recognized? Why am I not loved? God, we trust you with the riddles and the questions of our life. Teach us, guide us, shape our minds, shape our souls, affect us with hope, affect us with with faith affect us with your power God and I just uh, I, I one thing I saw or felt discerning this time is you know accusation from others is a really really powerful imprisoner it's a powerful place of bondage and I just saw for some people when I was talking about the adulterous woman that there's accusations that you have been persuaded by and that you've maybe had them for yourself or others have had them for you and I just see Jesus walking into your life right now and looking at you and saying, hey, the accusers are gone, and I also don't judge you, and I also don't accuse you. Move forward in empowerment. Move forward in grace. Move forward in, in no sin. And so I pray a grace be released for those of us who have received powerful accusations, who have received powerful condemnation, I pray that you would release grace, God, on our lives. That you would release grace on our lives. That you would release grace on our lives. I even see him saying, don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about the places uh, of accusation that have been spread around you. I just see God releasing grace over your life, grace over your life, grace over your life. Be transformed, be transformed, be transformed. I see God saying, don't worry about all that. I'm going to make your mind new. I'm going to renew you, Romans 12, 2. So, God, I pray that you bless this community. Give us courage. Give us grace. Give us courage. Give us grace. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about the Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.